Let's open our uh, Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we're in verses 21 through 23. The last little section we looked at talked about <clears throat> false prophets and false teachers. And uh, really that, that we really need to be on guard and watch out. Don't believe everything you hear because it might be foolishness. It might be nonsense. It might be the, the, the words of people rather than the words of God. So these, it says there that these false prophets, they come in sheep's clothing. Again, they, they, they don't come out and say, I'm going to teach you some false teaching here. They come saying, I've got the truth, and listen to me, and follow me. Basically, that's one of the biggest things, is they want people to follow after them. But it says, inwardly, they are ferocious wolves, and they prey on people who are immature and who don't know God's word, and, and unstable and gullible. We've got to watch out. We've got to watch out. Be careful. Be on, on guard. And that's basically what Jesus was telling us. He says, how do we know? How do we know if they are false or not, he says, by their fruit. Look at the fruit of their lives. Number one, the fruit of their teaching. Is it, is it from the Word of God, and are there results like that are healthy results? Or has it become very legalistic or very uh, dominating or you know, very kind of a closed kind of thing? You, know, you can kind of look and see, is God's Spirit working there, or is it man that's working there? And then the lies uh, as well. Look at... Look at people's lives, you know, does it line up with what they're saying or is there a big difference? You know, they talk about, you know, let's give sacrificially or whatever and then they have, you know, uh, a $2 million yacht sitting over in the harbor, you know. Some of these things that, you know, are uh, marks of a false prophet, false teaching, there's a lot of greed that's happening. It's easy to see that. Well, at least for some people it is. I don't know. They still, they still seem to be carrying on a lot of these people and people sending their money in. And, and you just go, well, why? Why? I don't understand. Because people, maybe they're charismatic personality or maybe they, they say things that people like to hear or whatever. And then they say, well, I'm going to send money. And, and, and they you know, take it all the way to the bank, their bank. So at this time, we're going to take an offering. And... Uh, <laughs> And just make that out to, just kidding. But it happens. This is real. It's not, I don't make this up. It's real. It's been happening ever since I've been a believer. I've seen it happening. But I think the number one issue that, that uh, we see about doctrinal issues, uh, in, in addition to all those marks, is, uh, is, is errors about who Jesus is. And, and that's where you really start to go off in, in teaching, uh, false teaching about who Jesus is, that he is that he's not God the Son, that he's not God incarnate, God come to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And then errors about salvation, that we need to do such and such, and we need to add such and such before we can be saved. Be careful, watch out, be discerning. I hope that if there's one thing you learn here is that you, that you can be discerning and you can, you can ask questions and you can... Check it out. Now today, we're, we're to, the, to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We have one more warning and then one more challenge. And really the warning, the, this last warning in the uh, Sermon on the Mount is this question, do you know him? Do you know him? Does he know you? Do you have, do I have a real relationship with him? That's the question that, that comes out of this passage today. We saw last week, Anthony was talking about, you remember that big group of nominal Christians? And what that word nominal means, basically, he didn't define it, but basically it means name, in name only. I you know, could say, I'm a Christian, but I could, I, I, in name, I might use that name, a nominal Christian, in name only, but truly not be a Christian from the very depths of me. It's possible. It's possible to be sitting here in church. It's possible to be teaching Sunday school. It's possible to be preaching in a church and being a pastor of a church and have the name but not have the reality. That's really what he's talking about here today, and it's, it's a very strong 
challenge, a very strong warning. Why? Because it's, it's got eternal consequences. For us to think we're okay and we're not okay, and, and eternally, that has consequences. Where are we going to end up, in heaven or in hell? It's the simple truth of it. So to just have the name, to just use the words is not enough. Let's, let's read the passage there. Verse 21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Pretty uh, powerful teaching that Jesus is giving to us. And again, coming to the end of this sermon, this, this time a uh, Sermon on the Mount, he's saying talk isn't enough. Just using the right words is not enough. Just saying, Lord, Lord. People say that all around us all day long, don't they? Oh, Lord. They don't mean anything by it. It's just a word. They say the name of Jesus all the time, right? I mean, if you work anywhere in the world, you're going to hear it over and over again. You're going to hear the words, oh, my God, over and over again. Do you not? Now, are they calling out to my God? No, it's just words. There's nothing, there's no reality there in that. So when they say, oh my God, you're going to say, is he your God too? You know, if we can kind of get some reality happening here and get some people to think about the words they're using, are you just using words? Is that just a swear word? The name of Jesus is just a swear word? Or is it the name of someone, the name of a person? Is it just superficial? Are we just, you know, saying those words? You know, it, it, the, the third commandment says, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? And that's kind of what it is, just saying, Lord, Lord. <coughs> Taking the Lord's name in vain. Just saying the words isn't enough, Jesus is saying. It's not a magic formula. If I just say, Lord, Lord, that's going to be enough. That's going to do it. That's going to get me in. So the question is, what does get us in? And how do we know? That's what I want to talk about today. And, and out of this passage, we see that basically it's this. It's a, it's a truly changed life where words and actions match up through knowing Him and Him knowing us. We have a relationship with Him where we know Him and He knows us, and it affects how we live. It affects our lives. It says there, but only He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's, an, there's a, a reality that comes out, you see. We enter the kingdom. Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 by being born again. Oh, don't use that kind of words. You're going you're to make us look like one of those born again churches. Well, you know, I've said this so many times before. If you are not born again, you are not going to heaven. Jesus said you will not see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again, and you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. So if someone says, are you one of those born agains? Well, you say, well, um, aren't, aren't you? Are you a Christian? Do you believe? Are you, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Now, I want to just point this out before we move on that, yes, I'm talking about our lives being changed and things happening in our lives. Our salvation is not based on our works. It never is. It never will be. It never has been. You know, that if you do certain things, you're going to you're be a saved. You're going to be a Christian. I remember reading, you know, Muhammad Ali talking one time, you know, well, if, I, if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to heaven. Well, that's, that's rubbish. That's not what the Bible teaches we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, what He did. We're saved based on a relationship that we have with Him. And those things just should come out of our lives. It, again, they're, they're kind of like fruit. They're kind of like a test to see if, is there really something going on there? Say, how do you know? Well, is your life changing? Is there something happening where you want to follow Jesus? If we truly know Him, we will obey Him. This word, Lord, again, He says here, if... if not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This word Lord 
It's, it's not just a word. It's a, it's a title of who he is. Lord means master. So if we say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said it in Luke chapter 6, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's a contradiction. We say, Lord, Lord, but we have no intention of doing what he says, of following him, of, of listening to his word and, and, and being who he's called us to be. We have no intention. Well, don't say the word because it's not going to do you any good. Don't be misled by that. If you say, Lord, Lord, you need to mean, Lord, Lord, what is, what is it that you want me to do? How is it that you want me to live? He says there that many, in verse 22, look at that word, many. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Many, not just a few, but many. We saw earlier in this chapter, you know, the, the narrow gate and the wide gate, and a lot of people going down that wide path thinking they're going to be okay. Maybe they're even saying, Lord, Lord. But when we come to that day, that day of judgment, we're all going to face that day of judgment. We're all going to face that day of reckoning when God will settle all accounts, I read, judging sin and rewarding faith. We're all going to get there. Just saying those words, Lord, Lord, are not enough. Even doing spiritual things, even doing spiritual things is not enough. You say, well, I teach Sunday school. Well, I prophesy. You know, I, I even, you know, drove out a demon. I performed a miracle. God used, him, used me to do certain kinds of things, any kind of thing in the church. I did something. Jesus said in Luke 10, he said, Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what what makes a difference, not that you can, you know, use the name of Jesus in a certain way. So you, you ask the question, and I, I ask the question, well, how can people do that? How can they possibly do those kinds of things and yet not really have a relationship with God? How could they do those things? Well, two things that, that uh, I, I believe are true. One is that there's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus honors his name and he honors his word. There are people who have no relationship with him whatsoever, and yet they're using the name of Jesus. They're even telling people about Jesus. Maybe they have wrong motives. Paul said, you know what? God's going to sort the motives out later on. Let them. I rejoice that the gospel is being preached. Their motives are bad, but he'll sort that out. I'm not going to you know, try to stop everybody and figure out everybody's motives. But there's, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's, you know, God can use, you know, people, you know, they came to Jesus and they said to him, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And we're not sure if that meant, well, he's not really a believer or he is just not part of our group. That's bo they're both kind of a problem, right? Well, you know, they're out doing this stuff, but they don't, you know, they're not part of it. They don't believe like we do exactly and get, you know, everything that we get and all the rest of it. But Jesus said, don't stop him. We don't know, but, but in, in history, there are people. What about Judas? Judas Iscariot, right? He was sent out with the disciples. Judas Iscariot was sent out with the disciples to, to preach and to teach and to heal and cast out demons. Judas Iscariot. Now, you look at the end of his life, and you know that there was something missing there, right? But he was still used by God. There's some evangelists and preachers, some people, you know, you just go, wow, what is going on? But they're still used by God, and you, under, you can't understand. You think about in the Old Testament, now Balaam, we studied Balaam in the book of Numbers, right? Balaam was used... You know, he, he did all kinds of stuff and he heard from God and, and God spoke through him. But in the end, he was after the money. He was, he was full of greed. He was after himself, you know, stuff for himself. But think about this, though, his donkey, his donkey, right? God used the donkey. Now, did the donkey get saved? Well, it depends on your theology, but I, I don't think so. But the donkey was used by God and... and God can use anybody. God can use anything. 
But what the, the question is, someone said this, how close to spiritual reality one may come while knowing nothing of its fundamental reality. How close can you get to that fire? How close even using the name of Jesus and yet not know the reality of it? How close can you and I get and still not know him? That's the question. In the book of 1 John, it says there were some people. It says they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. There were a group of people in the church, and, and they didn't stick it out. They didn't stay. Why? Because they didn't really have that relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's not about doing religious things. It's about having a relationship with him. So the name of Jesus is powerful. His word is powerful. But there are also counterfeit signs and wonders. Uh, Paul talked about 2 Thessalonians. He says there would be the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. These counterfeit signs and wonders. There are things going on out there. Some of it isn't real. Some of it's counterfeit. It's not up to you and I to try to discern and make it out in the end. It's up to you and I to, to ask ourselves, and this is what Jesus is getting to here today, for you and I, do we have a relationship with him? Do we know him? Does he know us? Do we have that back and forth relationship? In verse 23, it says it. He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He says, he's saying this to you and to me. He said, I never had a personal relationship with you to the, the people he's talking to and that he's challenging you and I today. Do you have a personal relationship with him? Him knowing us and us knowing him. It's a two-way street. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 10. I'll show you why I say that. He says there, you know, in that verse, I never knew you. But look at John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. He said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. There's a two-way relationship that he's talking about here. A two-way street. Of course, the truth of the matter is that he knows us inside and out, right? You read that in the Bible in a bunch of different places. He knows us perfectly. He knows everything about us. He knows, you know, inside and out. He told Jeremiah the prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. David said, you know, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. So it isn't so much for him to know us in this equation of having a relationship with him. It's for us knowing him that is the important thing for you and I to be paying attention to. So I want to ask the question, how do we know someone? He says, I never knew you and you never knew me. We didn't have this relationship. And if that's what gets us into the kingdom having a relationship with him. Well, how do you know someone? And, and just thinking on terms of, uh, you know, the human level here. How do we know someone? Well, it's, uh, you know, when the pastor says, you know, say hello to somebody for, uh, before you sit down, then I know that person. <coughs> yeah. Do you? You know, do you know the person sitting next to you? You might have said hello to them. Oh, I know them. No, I don't think so. Do you know me? Do I know you? There's something about, you know, how do we get to know one another? How? Let me ask you. How do you get to know someone? Time, yeah. Conversation. I think those are the two main things, time and conversation. Spending time together, conversing back and forth. And notice I said back and forth. You know, sometimes you talk, you spend time with people and and it's a lot of back, but no forth. Or no, a lot of forth and no back, you know. 
And that you're really not getting to know. They're not really getting to you. And you walk away going, wow, I wish, you know, I could have said something about me and they could get to know me a little bit. I know way too much about them. <laughs> too much information about them. But, you know, it's got to be back and forth. It's got to be a real. You know, so many times we, 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 we're with people and we don't, we, we're, we're, there's a lot of walls there. There's a lot of fake and phoniness in between us. Get to know somebody. You know, you know, there isn't, in this life, there isn't enough time. There, there aren't enough opportunities to really get to know that many people. You know, you've heard it said, you know, you might know five or six, a handful of people in your life that really you know, you, that they know you and you know them. Why? Because there's just not a t- enough time to spend. I was with a, a, a fellow a few weeks ago, and, and his ministry right now is going around to different places and different churches and, and speaking about a, a ministry that uh, helps to support missionaries. And In fact, it's the organization that Anthony and Irene are, are uh, supported through. And, you know, he, he said, you know, I get to go out and I get to meet a lot of people. I get, you know, places he's meeting Christians all over the country and all over the world. He says, but, you know, it's awfully lonely. Why? Because he doesn't really, he's not really getting to know them. He's not, he's not, he doesn't have that kind of relationship with them. You can talk to a lot of people, and maybe in your job you do, but, but do you have some people that know you and you know them? Jesus is saying, that's what's important. That's what's the most important thing, that you know me and I know you. Look at John chapter 17. Look ahead seven chapters. John chapter 17. And verse 3. Now this is eternal life. That they, what? May know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You want a definition of eternal life? Jesus gives it to us right here. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is, this is eternal life for us to know Him. So the question that I keep asking over and over again, do we know Him? Do we really know Him? Or do we just use the word? I go to church. Of course, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church. Of course I'm a Christian. I give money. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I'm not talking about like navel gazing here where, you know, but, but there's a fundamental thing that we need to ask, question, am I truly one of his? Do I really have a relationship with him? Do I know him? Does he know me? Is there this reality of spending time with him? of conversing back and forth, talking to Him, reading His Word, where uh, most often He speaks to us through His Word. Is there this real relationship, or is it just... Or maybe, or maybe you're searching and you want to know. You want to know Him. I mistakenly thought that today was communion, and uh, I realized... When we were playing up there, I counted it again and realized it wasn't today. It's next Sunday. And, uh, but, but in prep, pre- preparation, I'm thinking, you know, where do we start? Well, we start at the cross. How do you get to know Jesus Christ? Well, you start at the cross. The entryway, the beginning, the door is, of this relationship is through the cross where, where he suffered and died for you and for me. Where he paid the price for our sins. Upon that cross, where he was buried and where he rose from the dead. This is where it begins. It has to begin here. It can't begin somewhere else. A true relationship with him will always come right through the cross. So how do you get started? You get started at the cross where you humble yourselves and say, Jesus, you died for me. I I, I need you. I need what you have. And I need what you give. And what you gave, you gave your life at the cross. That's where we start. How do we know if we know Him? Turn ahead to me again with uh, a few books to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
I'm not trying to destroy anybody's faith. I want to explain that to you today, but I, I want to make sure that you're sure because it has eternal consequences, as I said earlier. Look in verse 15 and 16. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See that there's something that goes on inside of us that we know that we know. That we, have, that we by trusting in Jesus Christ and coming to the foot of the cross where, where our lives are changed, we are born again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to live within us as we invite him into our hearts. And the Spirit, it says, bears witness, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That, that you know, that you know, that you know. That comes by the Spirit of God within you. There's no other way to know that. Other than the Scripture, of course, and some of the things that we've been talking about here. But God's Spirit, so it's a, it's a relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all are involved in this relationship with you and with me. A few more passages I want to uh, want you to turn to uh, Philippians. First of all, Philippians chapter three, and that's ahead uh, three books: Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter three. And verse eight. This is Paul the apostle, one of the most amazing Christians who you know, wrote a huge portion of the New Testament. God used him in a powerful way. But look what he says here in verse 8. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law or works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You read on from there, he says, I'm going to press on. I want to get to know him better. Did, did Paul know Jesus Christ? Yes, he did. But he realized that it, this is a journey. This is a, a pathway, and he wanted to, to know him more. He says that, that there's really nothing else that is more important than knowing Christ Jesus. I have seen it in, in you know, the time that I've been a believer where what happens and what can happen is we come to Jesus Christ and we get to know him to a certain level, and then it just stops right there. It just stops right there. It doesn't, it doesn't go on. We don't go any deeper. We think, well, I'm, I'm safe now. I'm saved. I'm safe. But we're missing out on a lot. Paul says, you know, I, I want to know him deeper. I want to know him more. I want to know him. One more scripture, 1 Corinthians, which is back. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Again, Paul the Apostle writing, and he's talking about the love. This is love chapter, of course, but, but look what it says in the middle of this. He says in, in uh, verse 12, he says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. He says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Do you see what he's saying there? Paul wanted to know Jesus more and more and more. But he realized that in this world and in this body, and I want to encourage you in this, that you, you say, well, I know him as best as I can. And, and you know, there's a certain, 
you know, there's only so much we can actually get to know him in, 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 in this life. He says, we see it's like a poor reflection. It's like a mirror that's kind of cloudy. And you look in it and you say, you can't really make out all the features. But he says, there's going to come a day when we're going to see him face to face. A day in heaven. He says, then we'll know fully, even as we are fully known. But he says there in verse 13, he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He says, you don't want to get to know him, and, 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 but in the meanwhile, faith, hope, and love, and, and you know, I'm going to strive, I'm going to, I'm going to seek to know him as best as I can. Someone said this, that although we become Christians instantaneously by faith in Christ, knowing God and developing faith is a gradual process. There are no shortcuts. A.W. Tozer said this, to know God is at once the easiest and the most difficult thing in the world. Why? Because we're talking about an eternal God here. One preacher said this, when I turned 30, I wanted to build a large church. At 40, I wanted to learn how to preach. But at 50, he says, I wanted to know God deeply. I wanted to know God deeply. Do you know him? Are you trying to get to know him even more? Is it something that's important in your life? Oswald Chambers, the guy who wrote uh, devotional uh, books, he says, it takes all time and eternity to know God. This is a journey for us. You may only know him a little bit, but keep going. Don't stop. Don't think. Don't, don't settle for anything less. But if you don't know him, today is a good day to start. It starts at the cross. It's got to start at the cross. Do you know him? Have you, have you opened your life to him? Are you growing in your knowledge? That's that, that passage that says, you know, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing down that path? Are things happening? Are we just, maybe you're stuck. Maybe today is a day you need to say, you know what? I'm tired of being in the status quo. I'm, I'm tired of being stuck. I want to I go forward. I want to go, go on. I want to press on to know you even more. It's a personal relationship between you and him. He's not going to force himself on you or me or anyone else. You and I have to make that choice. Lifelong. I've asked uh, Barbara to... Uh, Barbara is... She's like the matriarch. I think she's the oldest person here. No offense. But what I'm, what I'm going to say is that she's, she's been a Christian for the longest here probably too. I believe that probably. So I've asked her because I, I have a few minutes left here. Last week, we went over and the Sunday school people were freaking out. Okay? I'm not, we're not going to go over, but at, by the same token, if we, if we end too early, guess what happens? So we got a few minutes, but Barbara, can you come up? And, and I, I told her five minutes. She says, I can't do anything in five minutes. <laughs> Sixty. Well, that's double. That's like double how many years I've been a Christian. I know you were wrong. You said forty-five to me. Forty-five what? You told me. I was just guessing. Testing. Guessing. No, you, you got to use this microphone though. Oh, I can't stand over there. Hold on a second. Alex, it's wonderful to see you. Is that how it works? Can I just stand here and ignore it? Yeah, yeah just a little closer. A little closer? Like, oh, I can hear it. See, I can tell. Um, he, this spur, he knows I don't like to do things unprepared. I like to have it all outlined nice and neatly in an organized uh, state, so I'm kind of winging it here. But... What you're talking about this morning about knowing, and uh, I have to I have to try to gather my thoughts as I move along, um, and catch my breath. Um, 
there's so many places to be. What did you ask me to talk about? What was the original? What was the original proposition? All right, 60 years. Um, I, I was looking for a way to start because there's so much, and I can't put it all in, but I can give some basic, fundamental uh, statements to put it together. I'm looking for the words that I want, and my brain is not working too well this morning. Um, the thought that came to my mind, and the image that came, and the thing that I thought I would start with um, was a philosophy class I took a few years ago. It's more than a few, but I went back to school late, and I worked on my bachelor's and my uh, master's here at URI as a considerably older student. And I was in a philosophy class on campus one day, and uh, they got talking about the issue of Abraham and Isaac, and God's asking Abraham to do what he asked him to do as far as Isaac was concerned. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to these much younger students, many just fresh out of high school, um, talking about Abraham and talking about God's character, and talking about, I'm thinking, you people do not know what you are talking about. This is my family you are talking about. You are talking about my father in heaven. You are talking about my brother Abraham. You're talking about a situation that you're making idle speculations on because they didn't get it, and they couldn't because most of them, there were a few maybe who knew the Lord, but basically it's a secular class in a secular campus. And I was trying to put my own thoughts together. How do I understand it myself? And then I raised my hand and I said, the reason that Abraham could do what God asked him to do was because he had already been walking with God. He had known God's provision and God's protection and God's direction. He knew God was faithful to what he uh, promised. And so that anything God asked was not contradictory to reason and not contradictory to what he had already said. So that Abraham had that foundation and he was able to trust God in a tremendously um, I don't even know what you would call it, situation. Um, and that sort of ended the discussion at that point. But I've thought of that many times. And in fact, I was privileged to do my master's thesis at URI using Abraham and Isaac as a foundational uh, part of that based on the uh, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who wrote a tremendously um, important piece on with Abraham and Isaac as the foundation. And uh, that has stayed with me. The walking with the Lord, and it's the development, as you alluded to and, and men made mention of, the walking with the Lord over time, the relationship builds as a child who, as an infant, is trusting the parent. And the trust grows as the child gets older, and sometimes the child is 50 years old and comes back and realizes, I can still trust you. Um, so that the building of that, and that's what I have seen over 60 years of walking with the Lord, probably started, made a commitment, a, a very specific, in my mind, contractual agreement with God to make a commitment to serve him and to walk in his will for the rest of my life. And that was in 1949, I believe, in the summer of 1949. And I thought about it just quickly this morning, because I say he took me by surprise, you know, he likes to do stuff like that. Um, so I'm looking at 60 years, I can break that down into six decades. Now the, the situations don't follow the decades precisely, but um, I had to write a quick uh, bio one time, a short bio, not quick, but a short one about my life, and I said, well, I got married to Bill, and I said I was a poor student's wife, poor preacher's wife. Then I was a poor pastor's wife when we moved to Connecticut. And then I was a poor missionary's wife in California. Then I was back again to being a poor student's wife in, in Connecticut. And then eventually we wound up in Rhode Island. I had a real job and a real house. So, you know, life takes turns. But I go back to the New York City days, the poor student's wife. We got married, and Bill went right to school. And uh, we were involved in all kinds of interesting work in the Times Square area of New York and surrounding areas. 
Uh, I look back on tremendous experiences, saw God's protection, particularly in very difficult and many dangerous situations. We were protesting before, we had a group we protested before protesting became popular in the 60s. We protested on street corners. We did all kinds of wild stuff. And God provided, he protected. Went to be in a, a, we went from New York City to a small mill town in Connecticut and, and Bill pastored a small church there, um, which we had to know his provision. We had got a house to live in in $40 a week. Then we went, all the five kids were born there. And then we went to California, and that was more of a, it was a provision situation. It was, it was a, uh, I, I was looking for letters that are in alliteration. I'd have to look for others for this, I think. Isn't there a verse that's something about uh, provoking unto good works? And I'm not sure where it is, but God had to provoke me in the missionary life because it was very difficult and very hard. And so there were a lot of stories with that and, and how God worked and developed, helped me to develop my thinking and my commitment and walking with him. Um, and then coming back to Connecticut for Bill to go to graduate school and to work on his doctorate. And that was another whole set of provision and protection and provoking and all kinds of things that start with peace. Um, Promises. I, I remember back when I first knew Bill, and he preached a message on First Peter, a section in First Peter about building, adding to your faith, this, and adding to knowledge. And um, but somewhere in there, and I don't have the verse, and I tried to look it up, and I can't see out of these glasses because they're the wrong ones, so I can't find it. But something about whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And I think about exceeding great and precious promises, and they're almost without counting. If you tried to count the promises that God has given to us, you'd be still counting, you know, a year from now. Um, tremendous promises. And so the, the evidence of these promises through all of these episodes of my life, and, and then we came to Rhode Island, and that brought a whole new set of problems and, uh, and needs for all of this provision and protection in so many ways and again being provoked to doing the right thing and serving the Lord. Um, and in fact, when Bill was a student in Connecticut working on his doctorate, we were privileged to um, help found a church at the University of Connecticut, and I was privileged, we met in schools for years, and I was privileged this past uh, spring to, um, to go down for the groundbreaking for the new building, and I got a gold shovel. It's in the basement where Dan can't find it because he doesn't want me bringing more stuff in the house. So <laughs> I've got a gold shovel and a picture of myself digging with the other founders of the church. Uh, and that's just an aside. And then, and I'm losing my train of thought because I want to tie it together. We'll go back to the promises, the exceeding great and precious promises. I've seen God's promises all along. So we've got the the, the year, the, uh, 60 years, the time in New York working on the street corners, Bill going to school, all kinds of things going on, and, um, and then going to Connecticut to the mill town, and then California to the L.A. area for the Chinese missionary work, and all of the interesting stories that come out of working, and you got a Chinese jacket on, I noticed that. I've got one home, but it doesn't fit. <laughs> I can't wear it. Um, from the Chinese, and then going back to the University of Connecticut, being involved in a whole different lifestyle and milieu, and, uh, and then coming to Rhode Island. And now in Rhode Island, I've entered into another stage of life, because when Bill died, that changed my life totally. And uh, making the adjustments to that, I, I fail miserably in most cases. I've worn out just about everybody I know. Nobody wants any more tears, Valerie tells me now. She says, there's a pill for that. <laughs> whether I'm depressed or whether I'm more just generally morose or whether I'm getting psychotic, there's a pill for that. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. So I'm trying to, to uh, make some adjustments. But it's another change. And when Bill died, the phrase that came to me, which is in keeping with this whole idea of God's promises, is God is the constant. God does not change. I change, my circumstances change, my relationships change, but God does not change. And that has kept me many times like a little slogan, God is the constant. 
And there's so many things that tie in with that that I could, if I had more time. See, he doesn't give me enough time, ever, ever. He's, never, never do I get enough time. Anyway, God is the constant. And so I look back over 60 years, and I see with Abraham that God has shown himself faithful and has taught me and has given me the steps as we give a small child to learn to trust it's like uh, riding the bicycle. I think it was Matthew recently was trying to learn to ride the two-wheeler. And he didn't want either mommy or daddy who would be holding the seat to let go. Don't let go. Hold on to it. But then slowly, as he's getting confidence, the hand comes away from the seat. And off he rode. And he was so astonished. That's what we have to do in the Christian life. We learn to trust. And so when the big things come and the difficult things and the major things, the the catastrophic things, the things we think we can't deal with, when those things come, like Abraham, I can trust God. God would not ask me to do something that's, that I can't do or that has no rhyme or reason to it, no, no basis no, no, uh, that I can see. And that's another whole thing. See, I go off on these things. I want to talk about all this other stuff. I want to tell you about Soren Kierkegaard and what he said about Abraham and Isaac, but I can't do it because I don't have time. Um, <laughs> Anyway, is, is that kind of more or less what, yes, God is the constant, and, and we can trust him through everything. And it's interesting, the last thing here, it's interesting that, that he said that he, the pastor here, i got to treat him more respectfully. But he's the same age as my oldest kid, so it's difficult. Um, yes, that's right, Hilda. That's, and also, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not the oldest. Hilda has stolen my place of honor because she's got a few years on me. But she hasn't been here as long, so she can't take my position. <laughs> See, that's mine. You could be the matriarch's assistant. <laughs> See, being the matriarch has privileges and rank because, you see, I can go to all the potlucks now, and I never have to cook another thing. I'm the matriarch. I just get to eat. <laughs> but the interesting thing was I was thinking about today. This was like kind of daydreaming sometime, I don't know, a week ago or something, and thinking, I'm going to ask Rich if I can get up and say something. But then I didn't. I just, you know, let it go by. And it's interesting that, that he said that this morning because today is an anniversary. What, do you know what it is? Just because Valerie told you. No, you figured it out? Oh, today marks the first anniversary of the day that I moved into Vals and Dan's. And many of you helped lug all that stuff and card all that furniture and pack up all those things. Yeah, I see you smiling, Sean. One year today, we've had a good year. We've had our adjustments. We've had our little, Valerie and I have little things. So I said to her one day, how come you got to be the mother? It's your house doesn't make you the mother. <laughs> um, We've had a good year. God has blessed us. And, and I'm thinking, what, this is the first year of adjustment. Where do I go from here? It's easy for me to sit in the house doing the things that I do that I like to do, going through paper and sorting books, and, and yet does God have something else for me to do? And I have to believe that at this time of my life, all of the things that he has taught me, all of this walking and learning to trust, all of the experiences, all of the, the um, activities, just, uh, so much stuff, I couldn't even begin. I mean, if I were to be here, you'd have to come for a, like a week of camp, you know, and sleep here. Um, how do, <laughs> what, what avenues are there for God to, to enable me to use what he's taught me? not because it's me, but because he's taught lessons even as he taught Abraham, and we learn from those things. I don't compare myself to Abraham by any means, but, but so this is, this is a new, I, I'm moving into another, another, I don't want to say plateau, but another area, another venue. I'm not sure what the right word is that I want, but, but what do I do with all of this 60 years of experience? And uh, that's what I'm praying about and pondering now. And Lord, so you started the ball rolling. So you did a good thing for all my yelling at you. <laughs>
But I do thank and praise the Lord. I would encourage you to avail yourself of the, have that foundation of faith, that foundation of commitment. You make that commitment, this is my life, Lord, you have it, and there's no questions to be asked further down the line. This is it. And build on that. And build on the promises and on trust. And uh, this church has been a great part of of a culmination of some of this for me. And seeing Alex here with Lisa and they're sitting close together and smiling, you don't know what that does for me. <laughs> so God is, God is very gracious and kind and merciful. And I could go on and on, but I got to stop. He's standing here. See, he's, he's pushing me slowly over. I feel, like I'm in this, I feel like I'm in the subways. <laughs> I like that bumper sticker that says, No God, No Peace, N-O, and No God, No Peace, K-N-O-W, you know. To know God is to know peace. Sixty years, you know, it's been like 33 for me, and, and some of you maybe, you know, uh, maybe today you're going to get to know Jesus. And, but it's a, it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. It talks in, uh, in uh, the Old Testament about Enoch who walked with God for like, what, 300 years? And then it says God took him because he wanted him to be with him. And God's looking forward to the day when we're face to face with him. But for now, we walk with him day by day, you know. And it's a commitment, like she said, it's a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk with Jesus. I'm going to know him. I want to know him. I want to walk with him through this life until I see him face to face. I, you know, uh, Bill Kinneman, you know, I can't even really think and talk about him without getting emotional but because because he was he was like that he gave us that example like Barbara as well you know but when we were there you know the in the days just before he passed away uh, you know he he knew he knew the time was short but he said he said he said this and he would quote the scripture says to live is Christ to die is gain and I'm going to the gain he says, and he, made, he pointed up, and he says, I'll see you there. Last time I saw him and he was able to talk, he says, he pointed up to, to, to me and another person. He says, we'll see you up there, is what he said. He followed God. He knew God. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown us the way, and the, and the way is in your Son, Jesus. And Jesus, that you have given your life that we might have life and you are always available for us to get to know you. And so we make ourselves available, Lord, to, to uh, spend time with you, Lord, in, in, in devotional, a devotional life where we spend time with you on a daily basis, reading your word, just spending a few minutes each day getting to know you and getting, you, you getting to know us in this relationship that's building. And Lord... I want to pray here this morning as well for any who don't know you that, that today would be the day they, they come to the cross and they, and they surrender and they say, Jesus, please come in. I need you. I, I want to know you more than anything else. If that's you, simply pray and open your heart. Today is a day of salvation. Today you can begin that journey and you can know eternal life through Jesus Christ and cross, the resurrection. Father, thank you. Thank you for all those promises. Exceedingly great and precious promises you've given to us, Lord. You are good. You have been good. You will be good. You are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.